Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodgen, joined by our still resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'll be doing better at the the last week of April. It's when I graduate. Mm, mm-hmm. Is that when everything's going to be like done, done for you? For master stuff, anyway. Yes, okay. yes. I, so technically, I'm. I guess I could say I'm looking forward to three weeks from now, ish. That's when, like, things are due to the committees. So then you just and then wait. You def- then you just wait and you defend, but you're like done with the work. Gotcha. You're not done, gotcha. but you're done. You are done with the work. Okay. Yeah, that's a good thing to look forward to. Three more weeks. Three more weeks. That's not bad at all. Uh, there's there's something enjoyable about being able to look uh, with hopefulness towards the end. You like that? Because that's what we're talking about today <laughs> is, is the end uh, and a hopefulness about looking towards the end uh, in connection to the Lord's Supper. That felt like a good. You just thought we were done talking about new creation stuff, but here we are no, talking about the not. end again. Uh, are we're we ever? <laughs> to to, I I feel so. It's always there. It's like it's a major. This theme. is, this is really unconnected to what we're talking about. But I just finished like a eight week series on the Shema, mm-hmm. and I'm starting the Holy Spirit this upcoming Sunday. Nice. And we're gonna talk. We're gonna go back to the Shema. And I'm going to tell them the same thing. You just thought I was done. That's right. You just thought we were finally done after two months of shamaying, if that's a term. It is now. I don't. I don't think it is. But <laughs> you thought they thought we were done. But I'm not. I'm not done. No, it all connects. Not yet, at least. It all connects. It all connects. My my Sunday evenings frequently, even though that it's in Genesis, and I'm wherever on Sunday mornings could be anywhere. It always seems like when we end the Sunday evening sermon, it's like, well, from a practical application standpoint, what we said this morning really fits with what we're talking about tonight. Uh, and it just seems to always happen that way. It's almost like it's almost like the Bible had a divine authorship or something to help uh, thread all of these pieces together. Who knows? Uh, but today we're talking about uh, uh, we're talking about the end times eschatology in relation to the Lord's Supper, uh, the eschatological banquet is what we're calling uh, this one here. If you're not sure what eschatology is, never fear, we will be discussing that uh, here in just a moment. But before we get into all of that, I want to remind you about thinkingtheologically.org, where we have all these episodes as well as other stuff, bonus content, written things, whatever you want to call it. There's more stuff there. Uh, and want to encourage you to check those sorts of things out. In addition to that, if you like Thinking Theologically on Facebook, uh, you'll be notified whenever those sorts of things uh, go up, and uh, you can enjoy the the study that comes from those things uh, throughout the week. Uh, We also want to encourage you to reach out to us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com for any Uh, comments, questions, thoughts, or criticisms, and you can extend all of those things to us uh, either personally on Facebook, if you're friends with us, or uh, on every other social media platform for Spencer. So I'm a lot easier to complain to. He is. So please go yell at me. It's a lot easier to find me. Yes. I'm very likely to just ignore the complaints. 
Just ask people that I know. They they're always yelling at me, so it's 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 easy to do. I probably won't hurt my feelings. I probably will not respond to your complaints, but feel free to send them to me, uh, and uh, I'll file them away somewhere. Uh, all right, we're continuing our series. We started with the last episode on the Lord's Supper. We looked at it in uh, Luke's Gospel uh, and how. Uh, the gospel was, or, or how the Lord's Supper, rather, was a culmination of uh, what was being built up in Luke's gospel. Uh, and now we're putting our focus not towards really the beginning of the book of Luke, but towards the the end, where, where things are going and how that relates to the Lord's Supper. Still in Luke's gospel, as I believe will be for all of these things, is that's where your uh, your master's thesis that you're working on uh, hinges, I, correct? I can't get yes, yeah. I can't get out of Luke, so that's where we're going to yeah, be. Even if you wanted to, uh, it's all going to come back. I'm, I'm I'm stuck. So we're going to talk about the eschatological banquet, the uh, the uh, Lord's Supper, great banquet uh, at the end. Uh, before we get into uh, the specific place where this is discussed within Luke's gospel, Spencer, tell us a little bit about what is the eschatological banquet. I know those two words. Uh, I'm not entirely sure even what you're talking about myself. So uh, enlighten me and the listeners, please. Yeah, yeah. So um, first off, eschatology refers to the end times. So eschatology is the study of things like heaven and hell and new creation and all of that is eschatology. Mm-hmm. It's Eschatology is asking where we go. The eschaton is the, the, the end, the, the final place. So eschatology is the study of the end, the, the finale, if you will. And uh, we talk about that a little bit. You know, you could, we could actually, I was thinking about this when you were talking a minute ago, you, we could actually refer people back if we wanted all the way to our first episode, however long ago it was that we recorded that. Uh, but we went through the seven different parts of systematic theology yes yes um and one of them is eschatology so i don't know if if you're bored uh try to find that first episode i will go link that at Um, the bottom of this one uh, so it'll be um, right there. I, I didn't have a fancy microphone back then i sound (laughs) terrible in it yeah and we were both way dumber it's 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 horrible, but you could go back and listen to it. I mean, you might find it funny. I don't know if you'll get anything from it, but I know we mentioned eschatology, yes, which is the study of the the end times. So, eschat- eschatological banquet would be the end time banquet, the banquet in heaven, uh, the banquet in the new creation. So. If you look at the words of Jesus, uh, if you read some of the writings of Jews, you find this in the Old Testament, you find that, find it in some of that intertestamental literature, the things that Jews were writing between our Old Testament and our New Testament. Mm -hmm. Uh, You find this belief amongst Christians uh, because it's central, I think, to an understanding of the Lord's Supper, and I think definitely would have been central to early Christians' understanding of the Lord's Supper. Uh, But uh, Jesus, Jews, and Christians believed in and talked about a banquet in the eschaton, this banquet in heaven, this banquet in the new creation, where all of God's people will be gathered together to take part in this meal. It's just simply the idea that at the end, all of God's people are going to be drawn together, and they're gonna we're gonna have a party. In essence, we're gonna celebrate. There's gonna be this big meal that we are all going to be brought together to eat. 
uh, we could talk about a lot of lot of examples, but uh, one of the first ones that comes to my mind because I was talking about this not too long ago, the parable or story, depending on how you interpret it, of the rich man and Lazarus. Mm-hmm. Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom. That is a reference to the eschatological banquet, probably, because when you reclined at a banquet in Greek society, which carried over into the Romans, you would lie on your left arm. Your feet would be extended away from the table. So you would kind of be lying Mm -hmm. on the floor in front of the table. Your head would be at the breast or the chest or the bosom of the person sitting to your left. Yeah. Uh, so the idea of going to Abraham's bosom is reclining with Abraham at the eschatological table. So you can see there, that's a good thing, right? Yes. You die, where do you want to be? You want to go and sit at the table with your ancestors, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with, with Moses, with uh, Elijah and Elisha, right? You want to recline at the table in heaven and celebrate with them. And so that's the idea of the eschatological banquet. And that's something that is a core belief among Jews. Uh, Jews were awaiting that time, as you see in the parable of uh, the rich man and Lazarus, that, that they understood, okay, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this language is used by Jesus. This language is used by the early church to talk about what they were waiting for in heaven, in the eschaton. And this is language that we will see is also included in the way that Jesus talks about the Lord's Supper. Okay. Yeah, the uh, a couple, couple thoughts that came to mind, your discussion about Abraham's bosom and all of this and lying on the side and it's eating at a table language and all of this. Uh, We get some of that in John's gospel with the disciple whom Jesus loved was uh, reclining there at the table next to Jesus. We know what they're, they're doing. So that's like a very clear new Testament picture of how they did things. Yeah. What, what, what we're waiting for. And in, and in the case of Lazarus, right, he was Un, he desired just to eat the scraps of the rich man's table, mm-hmm. and now he's at the table with Abraham. Yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a reversal that Jesus is playing on there. The rich man had a table in this life, Lazarus didn't, and it's reversed. Yeah, in yeah. the eschaton, in the afterlife, you see a reversal of that table theme, which very much consistent with what Luke is doing in the rest of his uh, gospel. Uh, of elevating those that are the uh, the downtrodden, marginalized of society. That's very much where his focus is. At, at the at table. At the table. Which is what my thesis is showing. That It happens at the table. There we go. So we'll get more of that conversation, too. The other thought that came to mind, was, and we're going to, this kind of bridges into the next uh, next part here, but um, Passover was the focus of our, our previous lesson uh, as as it connects to the Lord's Supper and all of this. Uh, and you just think about the number of times that the people of Israel were asked to involve themselves within uh, feasts and even outside of that, uh, providing for uh, each other's physical needs from a just just 
purely for food. There's other things too, but just how often they're asked to partake in, you know, sit down, eat together, do this, all of that. Uh, Even the tremendous amount of uh, emphasis placed on hospitality, uh, not just within Israel, just within the ancient Near East culture uh, of the Old Testament, uh, but the, the great emphasis on hospitality, sharing food together and all of this, this idea of at the end of all of this, there's going to be this sitting at the great table and enjoying this tremendous banquet with one another. That's That makes sense. You know, they, there's a lot that they do. seems like most everything uh, kind of revolves around the table or at the very least uh, eating together uh, as as we look at a lot of what Jesus does as well. A lot of it revolves around if, food. It's just all very if you important. Look th- if you read through Luke's gospel, Jesus is always eating, which is why he's called a glutton and a drunkard, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because that's all he ever does. Yeah. That, that he's, he's constantly at a table. He's constantly, even when he's not at a table, there's food, feeding of the 5,000. Yes. Or the rich man and Lazarus references. So Jesus is either eating or he's talking about food. Yeah. and Almost the entire time. And that's at the beginning of his ministry. And that is, as we're looking at here, uh, the end uh, of all of this. Spencer, you have a phrase uh, highlighted here for this next point. Fulfilled uh, in the kingdom of God. Uh, what's so important about that idea? So... If you read the institution narrative in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 22, where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, Mm -hmm. he begins by saying, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then then Jesus takes the first cup. We talked about that in the last episode, Mm -hmm. this cup, bread, cup connection to the four cups that would have been used in a traditional Passover meal. So Jesus takes the first cup. This is not the cup of the Lord's Supper, but one of the first two cups of the Passover celebration. And he gives thanks to it. And he says, take, the, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So you have Jesus says that he desires to eat this Passover. He begins the Passover meal with the cup, like Jews traditionally would, and makes the statement again that he will not do this again until the kingdom of God. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know about anyone else, but I can speak of, from my experience. I know that growing up, I heard this idea of fulfilled in the kingdom of God connected to the Lord's Supper, And I don't know if this is actually what people thought or if it was just never explained correctly to me, but I typically thought, oh, the Lord's Supper will be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Like I I just kind of assume that's what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus is actually talking about the Passover being fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Mm. Because he, he hasn't instituted the Lord's Supper yet, first off, when he says this. But he specifically says... I want to eat this Passover with you, and I won't do it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. There's no mention of the Lord's Supper. It's all Passover imagery. And that's what the first half of the institution is. It's all Passover, 
And then, like we talked about last week, Jesus then reinterprets Passover at the with the second half of the Passover celebration mm. is when he reinterprets it uh, to connect to his passion, to his, his death, his suffering that's about to take place. So if you remember back what we talked about last week, uh, we said that the main theme of Passover is liberation. Israel was liberated from slavery yeah. in Egypt. Jesus liberates us in multiple ways. We talked about spiritual liberation. We talked about physical liberation. We talked about social liberation, how Jesus liberates us in all these different areas of our life. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about, that he's waiting for this liberative aspect of the Passover to be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So when when the kingdom of God fully comes, right, when the eschaton comes, when the new creation comes, we will all fully and finally be liberated, liberated from sin, liberated from social, being social outcasts or social division or whatever else uh, we may want to think, physical liberation from disease and illness and death and all of that is no more. So the fullness of the liberation that Jesus comes to bring is going to be found in the kingdom of God. And so when he's talking about wanting to celebrate this Passover, is he's wanting to remember God's liberative acts in the past, but then he points to the future and says, I will not take of this again until it is fulfilled, until full liberation that the Passover looks forward to, and the Lord's Supper, right? This isn't separate from the Lord's Supper. We talked about last week, the Lord's Supper capitalizes on this idea of liberation Mm -hmm. and connects it to Jesus. But specifically, in talking about Passover, Jesus is highlighting that's the aspect of the Passover and the aspect of the Lord's Supper that he's pointing to in the kingdom of God. But talking about not eating it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God, this is a reference to the eschatological banquet. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be eating again until the great meal in the kingdom of God, where we can fully and finally celebrate complete and total liberation. Mm. So that's where you get this eschatological banquet imagery in the Lord's Supper, is by pointing towards eating in the kingdom and this theme of liberation that will be found at the eschatological banquet, in the eschaton, in the kingdom, in the new creation. So... This imagery is right there in the third verse, first statement of Jesus. He's pointing to the eschatological banquet. Yeah. So thus far, uh, we've had a conversation about some about I guess I guess an idiom. I think the Abraham's bosom idea, uh, or you know, phrase at the very least uh, about this. Uh, this banquet at the end sort of idea. And then as we just talked about this fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Um, But up to this point, we haven't really zoomed into an actual section, maybe where there's a little more depth of or explicit uh, conversation about this uh, at any length. Uh, And so that's where we're going to move in now uh, with this part of the lesson. This is, I I don't know how much of this will actually uh, quote, but it's Luke 14, one through 24. Uh, where we have this parable of the the great banquet, uh, and it's here that we get a, a 
bigger, uh, more explicit picture of what all is going to be happening uh, at this uh, eschatological banquet. Uh, Spencer, where do you want to start with uh, Luke 14 here in the parable of the great banquet? So Luke does a tremendous job throughout his gospel, but particularly in the way he talks about the Lord's Supper in connecting it back to themes that he that Luke has already developed. And Luke has already developed this idea of the eschatological banquet. So Jesus can say, or Jesus can point to the eschatological banquet. He can point to eating in the kingdom of God. And Luke expects his readers to remember, okay, Jesus has already talked about this. He's already described for us what the eschatological banquet is going to look like. And Jesus does this again when he's sitting at a table. Like he does throughout the gospel. He's sitting at a table and he talks to some Pharisees about the eschatological banquet. And that comes in Luke 14. Uh, The parable of the great banquet is actually in Luke 14 verses 15 through 24. But the story starts at the beginning of the chapter where he goes to eat with a leader of the Pharisees, we're told, Mm. on the Sabbath day. And this is one of my favorite stories in the Gospel of Luke. So I I real quickly want to recount what's going on here. So Jesus is invited to eat with this Pharisee. He shows up at the Pharisee's house on the Sabbath, and there's this man with dropsy, a disease where your body retains water and causes swelling and... uh, other issues like that, normally connected to liver disease or heart disease or something like that, typically. So there's this made with Jopsy at the Pharisee's house, which is interesting because he shouldn't be there. He He's unclean, which was a big deal for the Pharisees right. of purity, particularly around table fellowship. So he shouldn't be there. It, it, uh, we're told that the Pharisees are watching Jesus closely when they in, invite him to eat. So it appears that this man is a plant to see, well, is Jesus going to heal on the Sabbath again? And, of course, Jesus does and gives this discussion about a child or an ox that falls into a well and being pulled out. Would you not pull them out on the Sabbath? And uh, the Pharisees are unable to respond. So they go into the house and they recline around the table. And Jesus first looks at the other guests and he notices how they take the places of honor around the table, which would have been the closer you were to the host, the more honorable you were. And Jesus begins to teach the guests. He says, well, when you get invited, don't take the places of honor. Uh, Take the lowest places and allow the host to move you up to a higher place. And then Jesus turns and begins to address the one who had invited him, the host of the banquet. It's not just enough for Jesus to uh, critique the guest. He also has to critique the hosts. So he turns to the host and he says, when you throw a banquet, don't invite your friends or your relatives or your rich neighbors who can invite you back in return. Because the idea was you wanted to eat with people who could maintain or enhance your social status. If you ate with someone lower than you, that would lower your status. So you didn't want to do that. You wanted to eat with people that were at least of the same status, so they would maintain your status and honor. Or you wanted to eat with people who 
were greater than you so you could kind of be raised up to their status. And Jesus notices, well, that's what this Pharisee is doing. He's just inviting those people who can benefit him. He's not inviting people whom he can benefit. Mm. And so Jesus says, don't invite those who can help you. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, those who cannot be repaid. And if you do that, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So by mentioning the resurrection, right? Jesus is mentioning the eschaton, the Mm -hmm. end. And the dinner guests pick up on this. And so one of the guests in response to him says, well, blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. A reference to the eschatological banquet. Very similar to what Jesus says at the Lord's Supper, right? Saying, blessed are those who get to eat of this great banquet in heaven. And it seems that the guest is thinking, well, this table, this is what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. We're going to do some application, but it could be kind of similar of you sitting in your auditorium on Sunday morning, taking of the Lord's Supper and looking around and thinking, this is what heaven's going to be like. Mm. It's going to be great to get to eat a meal in this kind of a setting when we all get to heaven. And Jesus says, you might think that this table looks like heaven, but it doesn't. And he tells the parable of the great banquet. He tells a parable about uh, this master who begins by doing what his host had done. He invites his friends and his rich neighbors and people who can benefit him. And none of them come. Hmm. And then the host sends his slave out to get the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Remember, those are the people that Jesus told his host that he should be inviting. And in this parable, Jesus says, well, this is what the, the master, the, the host does. He goes out and he invites the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, but then he takes it further. There was still room at his table, and so he sends his slave out to the roads and to the lanes to compel people to come. Anyone who will accept it, let them come in and be a part of my banquet. Mm. And so here's the point of, of, of this parable. Now that we kind of understand what's what's going on, here's what Jesus is trying to say. Uh, this parable illustrates that the eschatological banquet, like I said, will not include the people the Pharisees think. That it will not look like the current table Jesus is sitting at, which is just filled with wealthy Pharisees who can repay one another and enhance or maintain their relative honor status. So the people at the table, they all looked like one another. It was Pharisees eating with Pharisees, wealthy eating with wealthy. Maybe, we don't know exactly how wealthy the Pharisees were actually, but to do what they did, to spend as much time worrying about following the law, they probably had some kind of means. Sure. Uh, If you're poor, you don't have time to worry about purity. You worry about surviving till tomorrow. So they probably had some kind of means. Maybe not elite elite, maybe not extremely wealthy, but they had some kind of means. And so that's what this table looks like. 
Jesus says this is not what the eschatological banquet, this is not what heaven's going to look like. Rather, the eschatological banquet is going to be more inclusive than the Pharisees believe it's going to be. It is going to include people that the Pharisees do not think it is going to include. Specifically, it's going to include people that the Pharisees will not include at their own table. The host of the eschatological banquet, God, doesn't exclude anyone. Uh, everyone is invited. Not everyone accepts the invitation, but everyone is invited. Specifically, Jesus said it will include the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, the very people that this Pharisee hosting Jesus has excluded. As I said, the host will even send his servants out into the roads and the lanes to compel people to come into his banquet. And here's how the parable ends. It ends with these words. Jesus says, For I tell you, None of those who were invited will taste my dinner. The you here is plural. So you can think, for I tell y'all, if you're in the south, the <laughs> south that's the way that we would say yeah. it. Jesus says, for I tell y'all, the you there is plural, indicating that the host in the parable is no longer speaking to his servant, but that Jesus is speaking to his table companions, which is interesting. So from this point, the master or the host has been speaking to a singular you. It's just him and his one servant talking. Mm. But now the you becomes plural. So it's now Jesus speaking to his table companions. In other words, Jesus has now become the host of the eschatological banquet envisioned by the parable. Jesus speaks of my dinner. No one will taste my dinner. No one will taste Jesus' dinner. Uh, Similarly... Jesus is the host of the Lord's Supper, which it and the Passover looks for its fulfillment, and Jesus hosting the eschatological banquet. So I'm hoping you see the connection there. Jesus tells this parable of the eschatological banquet and concludes by saying, I'm the host of that banquet. When Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, he points to the eschatological banquet. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm the host of the Lord's Supper, but in celebrating the Passover... In taking the Lord's Supper, as we've talked about, we are looking towards the eschatological banquet, which I am also going to be the host of. So all three of these stories then end up being connected. And I think the point is, is that when we take the Lord's Supper, not only does that mean I think that we look forward, that's part of it, we await eating with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. When we take the Lord's Supper now, we are eating with Jesus. Jesus is present there. I, I, I'm sorry if you... I, I don't know exactly what people listening believe about the, the Lord's Supper and talking about stuff like transubstantiation or consubstantiation or you know all those different I'm things sure. the discussion for another time. But whatever you believe, Jesus is present, and he's present at the Lord's Supper in a way that I don't think he is present at other times in our lives. There's something special about the Lord's Supper. We are communing, not just with one another, but we are communing with Jesus. And to sit there and to commune with Jesus is to await getting to eat with him again in the new heavens and the new earth. That gives us hope. We know where we're going. 
I think going back to some of our application of new creation, where we talked about how our job is to bring heaven to earth, I think that we should it should convict us to be about that mission. Mm-hmm. But I think also in Luke giving us this parable of the great banquet banquet and giving us the, this entire scene here this the scene is only found in Luke there's a similar parable in Matthew but the entire scene is i mean it's expanded in Luke you have this huge scene and for for Luke to to do all this i think he's saying that when we sit down with Jesus at the Lord's supper that it should convict us in the same way that Jesus convicted the Pharisees. It should cause us to look around and maybe not jump to say, hey, how great it will be to eat in the new heavens and the new earth just like we are now. And, but to look around and ask, are the people that I'm here eating with the same ones that Jesus, that are going to be at Jesus' table in heaven? And if they're not, there's a problem. If, like the Pharisees, we look around and we see people who look like us and live like us and have the money that we have, Jesus would say, don't be like the Pharisees and celebrate that. Be like the master and go out and start inviting the poor, the crippled, the lame, Mm -hmm. and the blind. Go out into the roads, into the lanes, and compel people to come in. In other words, it forces us to ask the question, who will be included in heaven? And I think Jesus would say, more than you think. Not, not everyone, but it will be more inclusive than you think. And in saying that, I think he's also saying, so go out and live as if that are, is true. Mm. Invite to your table, not just your table at your house, that's part of it. Interact with. But invite to Jesus' table the people who are going to be included at the eschatological banquet. There's one thing that I want to say on that uh, real quick, sure. and then I'll, I'll turn it over to, to Jack and kind of get some of his his thoughts. Because uh, we're going to come back to who some of those people might be in later uh, episodes. But I w- want to challenge you to ask that question. Because I think it's a convicting question, uh, especially in the the world and the churches that we live at live in today. That typically everything you look around and it is just replicas of you. I think the Lord's Supper is meant to challenge that, is to challenge us to be more inclusive. But I would also argue that if we're inviting to the Lord's table to Jesus' table, to partake in the Lord's Supper, those who are going to be included in the meal and the eschaton that the Lord's Supper is pointing to, then I think part of who that includes are our brothers or sisters who have mental disabilities. So Jesus specifically mentions disabilities, the crippled, the blind, the lame. I'm thinking of those with disabilities that we can tend to exclude from the Lord's table. Not that we would, and we'll talk about this in a later episode. I'm not talking about that most of our churches that someone would go up and say, well, you can't. Like, you know, we use the little pods, as a lot of churches still do and probably will forever. Yeah. 
So it's not that we have someone there monitoring those and saying, let me see, you know, your baptism card or let you, you have to take this competency test before we're going to let you pick up one of these pods. But if you asked someone who can or can't, or maybe if you heard a sermon on it, or at minimum, we're not openly inviting people who do, who are not baptized or who do not believe or in the case that I'm talking about, we'll talk about those other examples later on. The, but people with low-functioning disabilities are people who cannot believe. A lot of the times we lump them in as well. Well, if you don't believe or you can't believe, you, you don't have, you're not guilty of sin, right? Because you can't, un, you can't believe, you can't under, fully understand right from wrong. We would say, well, you don't have a need for the Lord's Supper, and since you can't believe, you shouldn't partake in it. And I'm not—that's a generalization, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, don't tweet me for saying—and say, well, we don't. That's good. I'm just saying, in my experience, a lot do. And when you look outside of Churches of Christ, a lot of official stances would say something like that. Mm. The problem with that is I think it misses part of what the Lord suffers for. It is a remembrance of forgiveness, but it's also a time to where we encounter Jesus because we're eating with Jesus. I've got more to say on that in future episodes as well. But in this case, just simply thinking about if those people are going to be at the table with Jesus in heaven, why aren't they at the table with Jesus now? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's the the thing that came to mind with me with all this, and the exegetical part of me does not want to do this, but there is a there's very much a thread on the topic of the Lord's Supper that uh, goes throughout the Gospels into other letters as well um, uh, on that idea of uh, who was sitting at the table now uh, and who will be sitting at the table then, and do those are, are those two pictures the same? Uh, you think about the First Corinthians 11 passage, perhaps, and I would encourage everybody listening to, to go back through and read uh, these sections I'm going to list here. But in First Corinthians 11, you have very much a uh, disparity about uh, how much people have and not waiting for each other and uh, treating the whole thing uh, in a very selfish and divisive way instead of thinking about the table as a whole uh, and this coming together. And so you have those with a lot that are eating a lot and those with nothing that don't have anything instead of this shared all together. So at the very least, you have this idea of the poor there. Um, James in James chapter two, while it's not explicitly the table, this coming into the assembly idea is present and you have those being elevated, uh, those that can benefit me uh, and then you have the poor come in and it's, you know, sit over there or sit down at my feet or, you know, whatever, who cares? Uh, and in all of those places in Luke 14 and uh, the other passages we discussed uh, in the last episode, uh, you continue to get this through line of who will be sitting at the table. Does our table look like that now? Uh, and if it doesn't, what kinds of things do we need to be getting in order uh, what should we be doing? And that question's really been answered already. Uh, go out into the roads and lanes. You know, compel those people. Go find them. 
uh, those that would be receptive to Jesus and what he's doing, uh, those that can't repay you, uh, that need uh, that need what Jesus has to offer uh, and may not be able to give you anything in return for uh, sharing that, go get those people uh, because those are the people that we're going to see uh, then. Uh, we'll have a lot more to discuss about uh, this particular subject. I can't remember how many kind of lessons we have planned out for this, but we've got a lot more discussion. I know that for sure. So uh, we'd love to hear your comments and thoughts in the meantime uh, with all of that. Uh, Spencer did say don't tweet me, but do tweet him, especially if you have a, <laughs> if you have a complaint. <laughs> You'd love to see that. Sure. Why not? <laughs> no, but we'd love to hear from you on... Uh, any form of social media uh, on our Thinking Theologically Facebook page or at our email, strongchurchministries at gmail.com. Uh, with any thoughts that you have about this, uh, we're more than happy to extend the series in order to flesh out and explain or uh, maybe answer some other thoughts uh, to all of these things. As for today, uh, that does it for this episode on the Scatological Banquet. And we'll see you next time.